We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lords by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lordsdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. A quick aside note before we jump to our main theme today. I just want to mention briefly how important evangelization is. Our first reading today is from the last chapter of Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesies that at some point, all of the world is going to be brought into the one covenant of God. So I know what you were thinking today. You came to Mass and you were like, man, I could just use another encyclical. Like, I just don't get enough of those. You're like, you know, Familiar's Consortio was great. You know, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, awesome. But give me something more, FP. So, so here's, your, here's your encyclical for the day is Evangelium Nunciandi was written by Pope Paul VI. And one of the things he says in there is he says, the evangelization of all peoples, all peoples, constitutes the essential mission of the church. The evangelization of all peoples constitutes the essential mission of the church. And I just hope you know that. This church exists so that people out there who don't know Christ might come to know him. That's why this church exists. And when we forget that, we get weird. We become weird Christians. The big joke with priests sometimes is like, you know, you decide you want to have like a, an outreach kind of night. And people say, well, Father Brian, that's our bingo night. It's like, that's weird, right? We've got to remember that. We become where we don't do that. So I hope that's on your heart and your mind, that the church exists, and included in that is our holiness, our sanctification. But brothers and sisters, we have got to bring people to know the Savior of the world. That's so important. And our psalm today said that, right? Go out to all the nations and tell the good news, the gospel. Okay. Main point today, though, we want to get to. First, a story. So, you all know Deacon Daryl. He doesn't usually serve at this Mass, but Deacon Daryl's son, we get to throw him under the bus today. It's always good. So, Father John Nepple is a good friend of mine, and uh, in seminary, Father John came in, really athletic guy, but he's a hockey player. And so I think I've told you before, his nickname, one of his many nicknames in seminary was Hockey Hips. Because Father John, everything was hockey. In his life, he lives like a hockey player. He does all things like a hockey player. So in basketball, when guys would drive to the lane, he's used to playing hockey. And so if you drive towards the basket you're going to get body checked. And he would just like, he just like hits you. And you're like, that's not how this works. So Father John, somehow, someone when he was in college, in college seminary, they convinced him to run the Garden of the Gods 10-mile race. Now, I've actually run it. It's actually a hard 10-miler. It's full of hills. It's up and down. It can get really hot. And Father John is not a runner. So the natural thing he thought was, well, I don't really feel like training. I'll just go do it, see how it goes. 
Right? You know people like this? You ever met someone who like runs a marathon without training and you judge them in your heart? This means yes. This means no. Yeah. So he didn't train at all. He didn't train at all for this race, this 10-miler. So he runs it and he actually does amazingly well. And he almost finished. He came literally a couple hundred yards from the finish line and he's getting weak and his knees kind of are like getting, you know, starting to buckle. And sure enough, he collapsed face first right on the pavement. So the paramedics came and they wake him up. They have like the smelling salts or whatever they used. They wake him up and they're trying to see if he's okay. And they said, do you know what day it is? And he said, yeah, Pentecost. <laughs> Perfect for a seminarian. And the guys are like, Pentecost. And you know there's some like ex-Catholic there that's like, is it Pentecost, right? <laughs> so that's one story. And then one more thing I want to tell you about. And this is going to lead into our gospel and what Christ wants to say to us today. The other one is, you have to go to the Holy Land. You have to go. If you have not been, you're a Christian, you've got to go. And I know not everyone can, but I hope you can. When you go to the Holy Land, the oldest Christian church that's complete, that's not just in ruins on earth, was built in the 6th century. There was actually a church on the same spot before that that was built in the year 339. But it goes back further than that. This church, but the church that was built in the 6th century, we call it the Church of the Nativity. It's in Bethlehem. It is amazing. You go there, and you're, you have shivers up and down your spine. I mean, the history of the place is that the Christians knew, we knew where Christ was born. And there's a bunch of caves there. And you can go into some of those caves and you'll get a feeling for what it was like for the Son of God to come into our world. But the early church knew exactly where Jesus was born. The early Romans in that period, they tried to destroy Christianity and so they had tried to build a temple to a pagan god there. And they planted this grove of trees and they had a shrine to Adonis because they were trying to destroy the faith. The Christians remembered it, though, and when Constantine legalized Christianity, he built, he built a church, and then later on, the Emperor Justinian in the 6th century built the church that is still there today. And it's incredible. And you walk, and, and you go to that church, and when you go inside, you go down a set of stairs, and you, you actually go down that way into the place, and there was a cave where the Word became flesh. Incredible. But the coolest thing that relates to today is that when you go there, the main entrance to the church that everyone goes through is four feet tall, just under four feet. And the reason it's, it's that way, and it's so cool, I love that they did this, is that the early church wanted to say to you that when you go to the place Christ was born, you need to remind yourself that to be a follower of him, you must make yourself small. You have to humble yourself. Because the infinite God who heaven and earth cannot contain 
In that spot in a little town called Bethlehem, the infinite, omnipotent, everlasting God became small. It's incredible. And there's just nothing like it. And so you all have to go. Today, brothers and sisters, our gospel is a challenging gospel. And that's so good for us. It's so good for us to be challenged. Jesus today, he's walking and someone comes up to him and asks the question that all of us want to ask. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Don't you always want to ask God that question? How many, Jesus, how many are there going to be in heaven? Right, And And the Lord... In typical fashion, I don't know why you always do this to us, he just doesn't answer the question. <laughs> right? He says that's a bad question and he's going to redirect us to think about this in a different way. Now one more, one more story this week that happened. A couple months ago, there's an evangelical pastor who mailed me a brochure. And best of intentions, and I think really with a, a great heart, he reached out and he sent these pamphlets all across the United States. And it's all about this question. Are those who are going to be saved be few? And, he's, and he wrote a letter to all these Catholic priests, and he said, he said, Catholics need to relax. And they need to know, and he quoted 10 Bible verses, and he said, look, you're saved. Just calm down and relax. Take it easy. Jesus loves you. He is merciful. And he asked us to share that with our congregation, so I'm sharing it with you today. Now we're going to destroy his argument. Um, and, I, and he really was, he was a very nice guy. I emailed him back this week, and we've been emailing back and forth. And I want to encourage that. We have to love our brothers and sisters that we disagree with, even when they're wrong. So what I told him is I said, that's, that's great. Those, I, I believe all those passages. You carefully avoided every passage in the Bible, of which there are hundreds, that say, strive, do good works, live the kind of life that's required of you by God. And I said, you, you, you very carefully avoided every one of those verses. And brothers and sisters, today's is one of them. And I want to appeal to you. Jesus today, when he says strive, he says strive to enter the narrow gate. That word in Greek is agonizomai. Agonizomai. And I don't know the whole history of how it came into English, but I'm pretty sure that's where we get the word to agonize. What do you agonize about? What is it that's heavy on your mind and your soul? What are the things that keep you thinking about, am I making the right decision? Do you ever ask if you are living a life that's pleasing to the Savior of the world? In the Greek, in my Greek dictionary, the first definition it has of that word 
is it says to enter into a battle. To enter into a battle. Here's what Origen says. Origen says, within you is the battle you are to fight. Within you is the battle you are to fight. The evil structure which must be torn down is within. Amen. Jesus today says, enter the narrow gate. Many will try to enter but will not be strong enough. The battle, brothers and sisters, that you have to fight. If you're going to become small, if you're going to lower yourself through that four-foot door, you are called to follow the example of the one who died for you. The world says, take it easy, relax. Go the easy way. Live for comfort, live for pleasure. Don't worry about things. God doesn't care. What if you're wrong? Jesus says to us, he says, strive, enter into that battle. And Jesus, I know in my life, I know I'm loved. I know that your mercy endures forever. I know that you love me always for all of eternity. But I also know inside of me there are things that do not belong to God. My pride and my ego, my vanity, my lust, my greed, my selfishness. And it would be easy for me to pretend they're not there. But it would be a lie. Right, brothers and sisters, you and I have to, we have to enter into the battle that is within us. We have to take the, load, the road less traveled. We have to choose what is harder because it leads to resurrection. It leads to joy and happiness. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says something very, very similar. In Matthew 7, Jesus says this. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. My, one of my good friends, she always says, she's like, FB, stop preaching hard homilies. She, and she knows, she's kidding. She knows that's never going to happen. But she always says, she's like, FB, can't we just go to the happy church? And I'm like, no. Catholics are supposed to be miserable. <laughs> and that's not true. You know that's a lie. Brothers and sisters, you are loved. God's mercy is infinite, but his mercy is meant to lead you to Repentance. It's meant to change your heart. It's meant to say, Lord, if you loved me that way, how could I live the way I've always lived? How could I go on living for myself? How could I be like everybody else in the world? How could I not say, Jesus, you have given your life for me, and my life is yours?
And I'm going to leave behind that man I was before because everything has changed because of the love of God. There's good news. Some of you are a little scrupulous, right? Now, some of you are on that side that you say, oh my gosh, I'm never going to make it. And I have good news for you about that. There's a tension. As Catholics, we need to know God loves us and heaven is real. And we also need to live in the way Jesus asks us to live. And to live our lives like it actually matters for Judgment Day. So Revelation 7, I love quoting this. In Revelation chapter 7, St. John sees the crowd in heaven. Right? And he sees 144,000 people. And you're like... 144,000, right? I'm in trouble, right? I'm 144,001. Didn't make it, right? And then the, the beautiful thing about that is the next verse. A lot of people cut off right there and they say, oh, there's only 144,000. The very next verse in Revelation, John says, and then I saw a multitude which was so large no one could count. There is a crowd in heaven of the redeemed saints that is so large, no one can even count it. Man, is that good news. But your job right now is to strive. One more quote today. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Right? You ever wonder, why is Christianity so hard? People will say to me in confession, Father Brian, I feel like I confess the same things over and over. Why is it so hard to be a Christian? Brothers and sisters, it's like being in a, in a river. Right? The river of our culture says, relax, enjoy life, live for pleasure and comfort. And life seems easy. You say, okay, I can do that. And the Christian stands against that. And the Christian says, I am going to live for something greater. And it's hard to go against the stream. So again, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. That is why bad people know very little about badness. They've never fought against it. Brothers and sisters, that vision in, in Revelation 7, I want to finish with that today. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. And that vision... The crowd is clothed in white robes, which is your baptismal garment, and they carry palm branches, which is a symbol of victory. Right? They have conquered themselves, they have fought the battle, and they came out victorious. And they sing, John tells us, a new song which no one else can sing. I want to be in that crowd. 
I want to be there. I want to hold a palm branch because I was victorious over my sins in Christ. I want to be clothed in white, right, in my baptismal garment, made white through the blood of Christ. And I want to be there with you. Right? I always I think of that crowd sometimes, and I think there's this little section, and it's Lord's. Right? And it's us together in perpetual, eternal joy and peace. I would do anything for that. I'll do anything for that. If I can stand before the throne of God in perfect, eternal joy with you, brothers and sisters, I can strive against my sins. And so can you. Today, when you go home, this week, how are you being intentional about your holiness? How are you overcoming your jealousies and your hatreds, your laziness, your lusts, and your pride? How are you doing that? Are you agonizing to say, Lord, this pride is so deep in me. May you conquer it. So Jesus, today we love you, we trust you. And Lord, we have joy and trust that your mercy endures forever. That your blood is greater than any of my sins. And Lord, that you can truly bring every one of us to heaven. But Jesus, today, because you love me so much, Lord, I want to be transformed. I want to enter the battle. I want to tear down those things in me that don't belong to you. Jesus, today, Lord, would you take away my pride, my selfishness, my ego, my vanity, my lust, my selfishness, that I may sing your praises forever. Let us now stand and profess our faith. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son was adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. With great joy that the Son of God humbled himself and poured his life out for us, let us lift up our hearts and our prayers that we might follow his great example. For all members of the Holy Church,